man, like, very likely gonna have to disappoint, like, one of my best friends. A unicorn in business is a privately owned startup company valued at over $1 billion. We're Ben and Joel. We believe every human deserves access to a world-class education. And our tech startup, Vigo, is trying to make that a reality. Now, we're not from Silicon Valley. In fact, we're from the opposite side of the world, Australia. We have a billion-dollar vision and we need to launch into the US in 12 months. In many ways, the odds are stacked against our startup, but we've just been given a miracle. The number one business coach in the world, Matt Mashari, has just agreed to coach us for one year. Matt's not your usual coach, and we're not your usual founders. This is the story of that year, raw and unfiltered. Episode three, hiring for horsepower. Chapter one, hiring badly. We'd heard people say like, hire for attitude, not skills. And that works when they also have skills. You can't have someone who's terrible at their job, but they have a great attitude. The company didn't run when we had average people. It stumbled. We stumbled. We stumbled along and just hit any bare minimum by really the founders brute forcing something. Brute forcing as founders was not so much stressful from having to help someone get something done or jump in and and do the long hours. That's something that I still love to do. My issue was having to make and own every decision with no trust that input from anywhere else helped. So every time we made a decision for the company, it just increased that level of stress. So much of our day was spent like, yes, that's okay. Yes, that's okay. Yes, that's okay. No, make this better. That, yes, that's okay. It was just, we were just getting tied up in just reviewing other people's work all the time. And we couldn't get to our zones of geniuses that we needed to get to. And that was plaguing us. And then we were then spending our management meetings and founder meetings and all of this, just discussing how annoyed we were at the team. Um, so the whole, the company was just frozen because of it all. Like, there was this massive gap from all of the operations that I was running. And that couldn't fall into Ben because he was raising. So we had this hole where shit was just not getting done. There was just fires everywhere. And we needed essentially a fourth founder who could just go out and put a fire out anywhere. Chapter two, Matt's answer, a chief of staff. When I first read about Matt's opinion on the chief of staff, it blew my mind a bit. And I actually thought like, there's no way that we could do this. My understanding of chief of staff was led by, you know, US political TV shows like West Wing. I didn't think that that was a thing that companies did, let alone a thing that we could do. Joel is by far the busiest person in our company. (laughs) I just don't know how Joel's going to keep going like without killing himself here. But but it is a concern of mine as well that, If I take on too much, then I'm going to drop the ball somewhere. Let me throw some other possible solutions at you here. Chief of staff has been a universal hit with everybody that I coach. I now have made it a requirement. You guys are so small, I'm not going to make a requirement. But for anyone with any amount of capital, just just hire this immediately. Would you see this making sense to sit under... Because Ben is the CEO. Mm -hmm. I'm not the CEO. I just kind of like sit across a whole bunch of different stuff. Like everything I've read about chief of staffs that, is that they are like faux CEOs in a sense and sit best under the CEO. 
I guess it's like, would you see this making sense to sit under like a, just a different? The answer is I think that this chief of staff simply extends a person. So whatever that person's responsibilities are, they amplify their reach. I am recommending it and have written it for the CEO because those are the people that I coach, but there's no reason it can't work for other roles in the company. Matt originally did say to us, oh, but you might be too small for that. But I looked at Matt's new company and it was like the fourth hire that he made was the chief of staff. And, and he was just talking about so much about how much value that person was adding to his like four or five person team. They're kind of like that Bruce, Bruce Lee quote, you know, be like water. They're just water. They will mold to any shape you throw them into and they'll love it, the process. And, you know, then looking at all of our challenges, we could see that this is the role we need. Chapter three, hiring friends. The very first step for us hiring a chief of staff was to copy and paste Matt's job ad for his chief of staff. <laughs> and so I went to Matt's company and I read his page. I'm like, oh, this is actually pretty good. And essentially just tailored the remaining parts to be about us and not about Matt Mashari, world leading CEO coach. <laughs> it's just so transparent. It's so clear. It's not written in some like third person voice. It's written in the CEO co-founder's voice being like, this is what my problems are. This is why I think it's exciting. And this is what we're going to do together. And this is the opportunities I would open up for you if you do this. Surprisingly, my phone uh, rang almost within an hour of putting that job ad up. And it was one of my good friends who I'm not allowed to name in this podcast, which is unfortunate. So we're going to call him Jimmy. So Jimmy, Jimmy calls me and he says, mate, tell me about this role you got. Now, Jimmy, Joel, myself, we've been friends for, you know, since university. And he is actually a, a bit of a weapon. He fit a lot of, a lot of the criteria that Matt has for what a, chief, a great chief of staff looks like. You know, someone with four to eight years of management consulting experience, someone who's highly intelligent and someone who's going to resonate a lot with your values and someone that you want to spend time with. You know, Jimmy ticked all of those boxes. But same time, I was just, I was so scared that the fact that I was friends with this, this guy was actually going to just blindside the hiring process and I was going to screw it up. You know, we, we had had to let go of some people recently and I did not want to go through the motions of having to bring somebody on and then let them go. And at the same time, I wasn't getting a lot of other candidates either. So I really had to defer to Joel, to Jamie, who is our VP of partners, and to Matt about, you know, what to do here. And I, I talked to my wife a lot about this and she coached me through it too. Okay. okay. Tell me. Okay. So had his call with Jamie and Joel for the chief of staff role today. Yeah. Uh, it was really funny because Joel, I, need you, I need you to tell me if it was positive or negative first. Both. Oh God, okay. <laughs> um, so Joel, Joel called me and he said, first he said, dude, I can't believe you think that is <gasps> going to be good for this role. I, <gasps> it, you're, you're such an idiot. And I was like, what? And then he was like, no, I'm just kidding. Oh my God. 
Yeah. He's like, after two minutes, I knew I wanted to hire. I want to close this whole thing and I want to hire him. Oh my gosh, thank God. I, I don't know why I have real vested interest in this and I really wanted it to go well because you wanted it to go well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And Jamie um, called me and was uh, <laughs> basically um, not the complete opposite. Oh my God, but he hates very him. Negative. Oh no, not, he hates him. Not hate, but um, like he basically said like, look, great guy, but oh my God. I, think, I think not the right fit for what we need. Why? I hope I didn't insult him, but I, in reflection, I think I might have fucking, I don't know. I didn't necessarily get the vibe that he thought that it was going to be that much hands-on type work. Okay. It's just out of curiosity, like, if you are trying to add value in something, would you go and get someone that's never done it before? And he said, no, I, would, I wouldn't. <laughs> so I said, so how, how do you feel with that same logic? You would help with Series A, if that's the number one priority. He said, I'll just, I'll just be there to book, help him book meetings with the admin. I even said, I, I'm not trying to be a dick. I just want to post questions because <laughs> no, I said, I gave the example of, I said, recently there was some hiring mistakes where head of engineering, head of product came in and they hadn't done exactly what we needed, mm. took the gamble and it didn't work. I don't know if mistakes in this hire would be afforded the same sort of like, you know, it was a learning experience, you know. The other big flag I had was and Mike, this has been a flag, not from the experience hiring people which haven't worked out, is when you ask them, what's your biggest concerns about coming to a startup? Like, what do you think is going to be the hardest transition? Yeah. And he's like, I don't think there's going to be any issues. And that, mm. in the past, when I've hired people like that, it's, I think because they think startups are sexy kind of, you know, like, I've seen the startup TV shows on Netflix. I, I basically no. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, yeah. definitely. Well, hope, uh, hopefully, I didn't do any damage. I don't think I don't need a damage. I was very polite. I was just saying it in a way which was, I think, thought provoking. <laughs> I love the amount of times you call me per week, and, and you're scared that you've, you've hurt someone's feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. All right, I gotta go. All right, see you, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so we had a tick from Joel. I guess a cross from Jamie. Ben interviewed so many people that didn't even come close to Jimmy but was stressed about him being a friend and I remember like that was why we didn't close Jimmy in the moment like it was a thing like we won't never hire Jimmy but we need to give this another like two months and it actually extended the process out heaps and we had to go out and like cause so much effort like there was a lot of conversation around it. I don't know how much I'm being weighed down by the fact that he is a good friend you know but there's only uh, one way to get around that. Is that like, even if you just hired him tomorrow, you would still have that fear unless you spoke to other people more. Push back, pick two people to progress. You don't have to say no to everyone right now, but just, they all seem like shit to me comparatively. Mm. But I also think you need to reach out to a few more people. Chapter four. Widening the net. Joel definitely championed that really hard. And he said, go out and get more diversity, get more diverse people to apply. If they can beat the skills and the talent and the horsepower, then they're the better fit. And just go spend more time trying to get them. And so, yeah, I took, I took Joel's advice. I went out and sure enough, within a week, we had filled up the pipeline with some pretty amazing people from some pretty different backgrounds. Super high talent, super um, high horsepower. And I started to do all those interviews. And one that just really quickly stood up from the whole pack 
uh, was Ash. Ash just had a CV like nothing I had ever seen in my life. She had done more in her first, you know, 25 years of life than I thought was probably possible for a human being. If nothing else, Ash was just had the most interesting resume I had ever seen, let alone just for the chief of staff role. And it was very clear that Ash was coming in with just horsepower for days, horsepower for days and days and days. She ticked the management consulting box experience in the fact that she had worked for Bain, which is one of the best uh, management consultants in the globe. And one that Matt actually calls out in his book as being like, you know, if you can hire someone from them, they're the best. So now I'm really stuck and, and I'm, looking at, I'm looking at Jimmy and I'm looking at Ash and I don't know what to do. And you know, one minute I'm thinking I'm gonna go this way, the next minute I think I'm gonna go that way. And I'm, I'm not sleeping about it. I'm waking up 1 a.m., 2 a.m. thinking about this. Do you wanna hear about the Chief of Staff stuff? So you can record it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I met with the... Um, Girl? Ash today. This is a second interview. Man, like, she doesn't have a lot of the experience I want, but... Man, she has had some interesting life experience. She studied at like six different campuses, including that they sent her to Oxford's where she got straight HDs the whole way through for that. Okay, so she's a, clearly a very, very intelligent human being. Yeah, and in the middle of her degree, she took, um, she took two years off to go intern at like a legal thing in the US, like a charity sort of thing where they, it was her job to go into maximum security prisons and do legal work for, um, people on death row. Oh, that's really interesting. And she got someone off death row. No, she didn't. Yep. She did a bunch of investigative work and found, um, found a witness that previously hadn't been called up. Okay, my first thought is why is she sidestepping into a role like this when she's done law and why does she want this role? Her whole thing is she wants, wants to do heaps of impact with her like career and her life. And she sees the best way to do that through um, like tech advancements, like technology. Mm. And so after uni, she went to this like legal firm, which sounds like they are like the most innovative, like on like the digital front. They do a bunch of like cool shit and everyone goes to work for Google after working at this law firm, apparently. <laughs> okay. They wanted to keep her, but she was like, she got a bit tired with like oh, legal um, bullshit. Okay. And um, at the same time, she got offered a place at Bain. And uh, so she did, she did a year there, at which, like, like, that's one of the flags. Like, Matt Mashari's like, you know, go after someone from Bain or McKinsey. They're just the best of the best. But he wants, like, Matt says at least, like, four years. Oh. She did one. Why? Well, you know, management consultants is like, she wanted to have more impact than what she was having. And I get the vibe like she was getting a little bit burnt out with some of their crazy, crazy hours. And expectations, I'm assuming. But then um, she got like parachuted into um, this like sort of charity conservation project where like she had to like develop a model for like the growth of oysters. It was about like rejuvenating the reef. It wasn't about like farming the oysters. Mm. But, like how to do these like oyster farms um, all around Australia and scale it up. And she did all the modeling for it. So she had to do like a bunch of biology sort of stuff. That's cool. One day she can be parachuted in to be an expert, like biologist sort of thing. Next thing she can be parachuted in to be like financial sort of modeler. Mm, sounds adaptable. Yeah. And then like she has ducks. What? She has ducks. How, how many? I don't know. 
but she keeps ducks. <laughs> I want to go visit ducks. <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't envy you. Sounds hectic. And then came the time to go to Matt. So I raised it with him in one of the coaching sessions. And Matt was, Matt was interesting. I thought Matt was going to be like, definitely do not hire your friends. It's always a nightmare. You can't hold them accountable. You know, blah, 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 blah. Don't do it. So my experience is I've actually hired many friends throughout my career. And I'm trying to think of any didn't work out well. Because first of all, it's fun to hire friends. Um, but second of all, I know exactly what I'm getting. I know exactly how the person performs already. So there's no surprise or very little surprise. And then probably the most important thing though is that I tend to spend a lot of time with them. And I also notice there's a high correlation between people I spend time with and people who succeed. So if you already know you like this person, what a win. Now the key is you also have to be able to give this person, you know, have difficult conversations with the person when necessary. And if you find that you are the type of person that isn't eager to do that, avoids conflict with those people you like and love, then no, don't hire. I had one last ditch thing to do to try and help ease my mind about this. Matt has this one recruiter that he calls out personally in Matt's book, the great CEO within, uh, Phil Levine. And Phil Levine actually himself comes from a background of being a chief of staff in the tech world but he's now known as one of the best recruiters in Silicon Valley and he's Matt's preferred recruiter and his specialty is chief of staff. So I got in contact with Phil and that was a game changer conversation for me. All right, can you hear me? We can hear you. Sweet, all right. No more screwing around. <laughs> so thanks for having thanks <laughs> you guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. When, when Matt calls out anyone to talk to, we, we take that very, very seriously. And I, I think I've come to a point where I need to move ahead with a, like one of the candidates that are in our final stages. One of them, which is probably the hardest one to say no to, but is an extremely close friend of mine. He's legitimately tattooed on my body. <laughs> he, he was part of my, my, um, my groomsmen and, and yeah, wild night. Cool. He went on okay. to go work management consultancy. He's done, you know, six years there super high performer, always been parachuted into big things, never done startup, but very curious. He sees this as his ticket to become a COO or something like that. Next candidate, she has to be the most intelligent person I've ever met. A little bit more towards maybe Matt's, Matt's book. I'll tell you a couple, a couple of thoughts, right? For the chief of staff role in particular, you're hiring for horsepower rather than experience generally. And you're hiring for someone who is able to come into the job and do whatever is needed because the thing that's so interesting and unique about a chief of staff role is that there's not really a job description like that this is a smart person who's driven who can figure things out and can take some ambiguous random thing and like run with it you don't have a bunch of direction and you don't know what it's going to be tomorrow and so the startup experience is a nice to have, but it's not like, it's not a requirement. I didn't have any startup experience. That's kind of like my first thought, which kind of makes your person seem a lot less scary. Two, diversity is really important because it allows companies to have different opinions and thoughts, right? And like having a combination of men and women is not just good. It is good because it's fair, but it's also good because you have different thoughts that are mixed mm. together and different 
perspectives and ways of interacting. And that's really important. Having diversity in terms of people of color is really important because you have different backgrounds, different thoughts and different experiences that all come together. It's not just a recruiting tactic. It's not just a marketing ploy. It's not just like we're doing what's good Mm -hmm. for society. Like it's actually beneficial for organizations to have a diverse population, particularly in the room where it happens. And that relates to your friend as well, right? What you have to ask yourself is, one, is he going to take the things that I say and because I say them, he's going to like kind of agree with them or is he going to like really push hard against you? Not because he's like just a yes man, but because you guys have such a strong relationship and he trusts you that he's going to push back less. Is that a negative? Chapter five, doing what's right for the business. I remember it caused Ben just real unease the whole way through and Ben just felt this immense pressure on his shoulders for this role because it could be such an important role. And also in the process, I could give my friend the opportunity that they've been so desperate for for the last like couple of years and when they've been watching us grow, I could give him the opportunity to come and join us in this world. Or I could also do the opposite and I could cut off hope for him at what looks like a perfect fit for him. And like the thought of that just made me so... I guess just so immediately sad and anxious about <laughs> about doing that. Man, like very likely gonna have to disappoint like one of my best friends. Do you think that now? Well, I mean, the way I'm trying to mitigate that is I let him know like, hey, there are actually two awesome candidates. I know, it's been tricky though because of how often you guys have been communicating and how he is, he, like, he was the favorite. Like, I've just, I've just been dead honest with him the whole time, and that's what I'm trying to do. Oh, gosh. It was just so clear who we had to hire. We had to hire Ash. Hello? Can you hear me? Ash, can you yeah, hear me? I can, yeah, I can hear you. You're a bit crackly, but I can hear you now. <laughs> sweet, sweet. Hey, um, I'm calling because I want to offer you the job. Oh, you're kidding. That's such great news. Oh, my God, I'm stoked. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, you are. I, I think you're absolutely phenomenal, and I'd be so excited to have you um, come work with us. That's such, oh, that's such exciting news. Oh, I'm so excited that you're excited. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, hell excited. Yeah. All right, well, I'll, I'll shoot that email now and talk to you soon. Chat to you later. Bye-bye. All right, see you, mate. And, yeah, boy, do I not regret doing that. It was one of the best decisions that we made last year. Holy crap. (laughs) The funny thing is is that Matt Mashari is always right. (laughs) It's so painfully (laughs) annoying that Matt is always right. And Matt is so adamant that you should always tell the truth and you should always be transparent and and it will always go better than you think. And (laughs) Matt was so dead right when it came to calling up Jimmy and, and telling him that, I'd made the decision to go with somebody else. He actually took it extremely well. And he took it like a good friend where, although he disagreed with the decision, he knew that I was making it out of the the best interest for the company, which is my role. And he respected that. And I won't lie, you know, our friendship, like it got a little bit shook, you know, for a bit, like we we didn't talk as much uh, immediately, but neither of us were trying to hold back from each other. And we just let all our feelings out uh, as they happened. 
chapter six, finding new developers and getting what you pay for. I forgot that I was doing pretty much all of that chief of staff stuff before and how much better my life is now. Joel was running ops and everything else. He like, you know, so many other things in the company, partner success included. So it was, the whole play was bring up chief of staff out of nowhere to make that happen while I can go out and raise money. Matt had identified that we needed to do a major shakeup of our approach to product and engineering. We needed to get rid of the engineers because we didn't have the right fit people who were in there. I realized that our engineering team wasn't doing anything except for our co-founder. Not that we had bad engineers or anything like that. We just had the, the, the wrong kind of skill sets in the team for the wrong time. And then after we let go of them, I realized we need a lot of engineers. It makes me just visualize one of those NFL American movies with the coaches like crossing out X's and, and uh, you know, on a whiteboard and like moving all these noughts around. That's exactly what I was just thinking. So I'm just standing there with this huge hole in the team and I'm just freaking out a little bit. We haven't been building fast enough. We haven't been building the right things and we need a whole lot of engineering power. I had no idea how to get that. I had no idea how to hire engineers. I'm not a software engineer. I've got really no idea what that entails. Joel, do you not remember you had to go to Stephen and be like, what language is the platform written in? <laughs> uh, yeah. Because we, we found out the hard way that engineers need to speak the right language. I think, Joel, you came a long way from originally how we used to talk to Stephen about the code being bleep, bloop, blap, Stephen, and then the, the feature comes out, right? And Stephen <laughs> would get so angry at us. Joel had like a radical learning curve. <laughs> I'm ahead of him. And it started really with who can I talk to that is smarter than me? And the answer to that question is pretty much always Matt. So yeah, we just thought Matt has done this a lot of times. Like how can Matt help us here? We've been looking for engineers for a while now and we're just really struggling to lock in any great talent. We took a lot of feedback from you, which said that don't have crappy engineers, just have some, some 10X engineers. I agree, 10X engineers are pretty hard to find though. So, so that's what I'm struggling with. The additional context here is that as you know, Matt, I'm not a software engineer by trade. I don't have any experience on what a great software engineer actually is because I'm not one, but also don't have much experience in finding great engineers either. So learning how to do this is, is fairly slow because it's, like, um, it's like I'm a baby and I don't know what I'm looking for. Uh, the second is that right now, our current requirements are super strict. The reason for this is that we've never been able to onboard an engineer effectively. And so we want someone who has their exact stack so they can get up and running quickly. I really should have stepped in early and taken the reins on this. I didn't. I left it up to the person, a recruiter who's giving really subpar results. So this is a tough one. Sourcing and hiring great engineering talent when you yourself aren't an engineer is very difficult. There's two parts, though. There's the sourcing and then there's the evaluating. And on the evaluating, there's no way you can do it. Your co-founder who does the coding, he's the only one who can. People can basically evaluate who is as good or slightly better than them, but someone who doesn't have the ability, any ability can't evaluate like how much better someone is than they are. So you basically have to pick your very highest level engineer and they can evaluate the people below as junior, middle, senior, and maybe even better than them. And so what I found, however, sourcing you can do, if you're hiring remotely, your pool just became massive. Um, now, I don't know if you're willing to, to do an all-remote engineering team, 
we have one and I think it's phenomenal. And then the second thing that I think has a massive impact is the amount you're willing to pay. So most companies right now are doing geo-based pricing. They're saying, we're going to pay you top dollar for your local environment, but we're not going to pay you more than what you would get locally. And that makes sense. They don't need to right now. There's no one else offering more than that. However, I think people will start to offer more than that. And if you're the first that offers what I call value-based pricing, then you'll get the best engineers in that in whatever country you're looking at. So for example, we've got a, a, an engineer in Russia who's just outrageous. And you know the highest paid engineer in Russia makes probably 80 to 100 grand a year. We've doubled that. We pay him 200 grand a year. Now he's the highest paid engineer in all of Russia for sure. And he will never leave us. We now have the single best talent in the country and now he's looking for the other single best talents and we'll just attract them because there's no one else who will pay that amount of money. And for us, it's still completely worth it because the guy's a 10X engineer, maybe even a 15X engineer, frankly. When we heard about value-based pricing, it immediately jumped out to us because our whole passion for education is creating the right opportunity in the world. And this really does that. Matt Mashari can definitely afford to pay 10x on all of his uh, current roles. We're not quite there yet, but we can definitely afford to pay for the top talent. Chapter seven, the right fit. I started to realize that I didn't just need to find someone who had great engineering ability. I needed to find someone who, who had the same kind of values as us, someone who really cared about helping the community and, and, and making an impact in the world. And it turns out when you look for that, the pool is a whole lot smaller, but there are these people who are very active that, that you could start to identify and have conversations with. And so I was actually really proud about the way I found this like amazing engineer. Nia is a senior engineer. She's our first ever employee that we've, we've found in Spain, which is really cool also causes me headaches because every time I have to order her stuff, it's in Spanish, which I can't speak. But um, Nia is just this really experienced engineer who had seen a problem, had just built a free platform for the world to use. That was like blowing up. It, it, it just had like tens of thousands of downloads. And it was just to help developers do their job better. And I saw that she just kept on giving back and volunteering at communities and mentoring people younger than her. And I thought, this engineer is exceptional and like really has similar values to us and cares about giving back to that community and teaching people. So on her big open source project, I found a donation button and I put a donation in there because I've reached out to a bunch of people and I've got responses. And in that donation button that you could leave a key message. So I left my message saying, I am interested in working together. I think we could make a real impact on the world. And even though I'd sent her emails and sent her LinkedIn messages and reached out on Twitter, it didn't come back, but she saw that donation message and that's how we started working together. The really interesting part about Nia that I found is that she's constantly giving back to the developer community. She's constantly being invited to speak in conferences all around the world and mentoring people all around the world as well, just to become better. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Google developer groups. It's basically um, community groups that organize events, you know, and they're right. backed up by Google. So I'm organizer for the one in Malaga, and we're starting to organize the event, the DevFest. Amazing. And I was I was looking for an open source um, event manager, 
Yeah. And I haven't been able to find any that suit our needs. So yeah. I, I thought to myself, okay, so let's, you know, let's make one. I have three days to build the entire oh, software. Oh so <laughs> it's been super, super busy, but um, it's actually going along quite well. So I'm happy. <laughs> That's great. I decided that you looked for an open source software, didn't find it, and so you're building it yourself. Yeah, basically. Stephen still is one of the like the smartest engineer I know, but Nia came in and immediately started challenging him on the way he was doing things because she is literally writing the book on Angular, which is the language we use. She's translating it into Spanish so more people can get access to it. So when you think of someone who's brilliant, it's she ticks a lot of those boxes. I think in that in all of our hiring post Matt, I think we've focused so heavily on not just technical brilliance, but on cultural and values uh, fits. And I think even the way we've gone about the hiring has been in a way that actually attracts people more to our values. And yeah, I think that showed up massively in, in both Nia and in Ash and, and, and a lot of the hires we've been doing lately. So we had now got the right people into the company, but as one problem wraps up, you know, five more problems show their heads or as one fire is put out, five other fires are now burning. And with more people comes more financial pressure. So next week, we're going to be looking at the company organization and structure, which sounds like a lot of spreadsheets. Uh, it's not. Just had a bit of a freak out. We have 15 full-time staff, four contractors, and we're hiring another four full-time staff. What happens if they don't sell enough and uh, we don't get the revenue that we're expecting? I'm thinking, holy shit, <laughs> is what I'm thinking. <sighs> Are you in? Let's go. If you're enjoying this podcast, subscribe in your app of choice so you don't miss out. There's a new episode every two weeks. The Unicorn Launcher is a Lower Street production.